Uh, our sermon text this morning is Isaiah 26, verses 12 through 27, verse 6. And I'll ask if you're able to do so, you stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Isaiah 26, verse 12 through uh, 27, verse 6. Give ear to the word of God this morning. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation, you are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you, they poured out in whispered prayer uh, when, your disi- when your discipline was upon them. Like, pregnant wo- like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their, for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. In that day the Lord with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day a pleasant vineyard sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to uh, a uh, very intense portion of Scripture we're going to look at today. But uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I thank uh, Pastor Andy and the elders for allowing me to come back. Um, I don't know if you watched the news this week. Something very exciting happened. A pastor who was in Turkey had spent 25 years of his life there serving the Lord, ministering to the Turkish people. Uh, at, frankly, I'm sure, great sacrifice and risk, and was falsely, I believe, accused of being conspiring against the Turkish government and was put on house arrest. He was released this week, and uh, you may have seen that story, and it was very touching as he was there and uh, actually even uh, was able to pray for our president, which was uh, interesting. So, uh, And we rejoice in that. I wish I could say that was normal. Um, what you may or may not be aware of, and, and I think many times living here in America, we're very much insulated from the fact that over the last two years, persecution and genocide 
against the church of Christ has only increased. In fact, some people have said the persecution of the church is the greatest it's ever been in history. More people are dying for their testimony of Jesus or being persecuted in countries like China, Egypt, India, Iraq, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, uh, Sudan, excuse me, Syria and Turkey. Interesting, some of them even allegedly allies of ours. Persecuting people simply for their testimony of Jesus. And so... As we think about that, you know, I thought uh, I saw a story of a a Christian pastor in India. I I could tell you some stories. I had the the privilege of going to India. And uh, the particular area that I had gone to, they had recently murdered a pastor. He had come over the border from uh, Nepal and was trying to plant a church in that community. And the Hindu militants murdered him. And this is going on all the time. In fact, just recently, a pastor in India was beaten into a coma. And just before he succumbed to the, uh, unconsciousness, the, pa- the pastor told the police it, it was clearly because he was a Christian minister. So how do you deal with that? And we're going to look at our text today. We live in a fallen world, don't we? And justice is flawed, to say the least. And how do we manage this? Why are Christians just being singled out and persecuted? Simply because they're doing what we're doing here today. They have a love for God and for His kingdom. And sometimes it does seem like the wicked are prospering. And like you can hear the psalmist, How long, O oh Lord, are the wicked going to get away with this? Well, God's Word speaks to us today. And He speaks to us words of comfort. Uh, comfort based upon who He is based upon his faithfulness. Just a little bit of context for our passage today. Isaiah is writing to the southern tribe that's left, Judah. And they outwardly seem to be very religious, but as we know, they were honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were truly far from the Lord. And so... We know the story. Eventually, God's going to bring in Babylon and and take them into exile. And and the question is, Lord, will you utterly forsake your people? Sometimes we wonder that. Are you going to utterly forsake me? Do you ever feel like that? And so God, by the Spirit, gave us this passage of Scripture. And of course, I can't exegete all of it. I'm just going to pull out a few key uh, verses for us to look at today. But what will we, what will become of the remnant of God's people, the people who truly loved Him? In this passage, we have a very interesting set of images that are pre, uh, set before us. And I know you're going through the book of Revelation. And by the way, you're going to see the book of Revelation draws deeply from the Old Testament. And even some of the imagery we're going to look at today, you're going to find as you're going through that passage. But we see kind of a, an odd juxtaposition. We see a warrior, as my title ensues, the, ti- the, the title of my message is The Divine Warrior Tends His Garden. And uh, do you see that kind of as a mixed matter? Here you have this, you know, brawny, strong, you know, maybe Navy SEAL walking around in, in the vineyard with his little pruning shears dressed in his full combat gear. 
that would be a little weird for us to see. But that's really what's happening here. There's kind of a mashup of images here that God is communicating to us. And we're going to look at those today. And there's two important truths, nothing new here, but things that apparently God the Holy Spirit wants us to be reminded of. And that is that God will comfort us both by His fearsome justice, and there's some very fierce imagery here, as well as by His great redeeming love. So let's look first at judgment. In verse 1 of chapter 27, we see the Lord comes in perfect justice. In that day, the text says, the Lord with His severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will slay the monster that is in the sea. Isn't that interesting? Kind of the motif here of dragons and and uh, Leviathan, if you will, is a, a picture, a symbol, an archetype of the enemies of God. And so Isaiah brings comfort to us, assuring us that the God of Israel will make a vengeful visitation on all his enemies. And Leviathan is just a symbol, isn't it? A symbol of the threefold enemy of God. And he's described three ways here. He's described as a fleeing, twisted dragon. But soon, Leviathan and all of his offspring, all those who, if you will, are of the spirit of Antichrist, will fill Yahweh's cold gleaming sword. Well, what's the cause of this vengeful visitation? If we back up to Isaiah 26, verse 21, we see, For behold, the Lord comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and no more cover her slain. It's interesting. The Bible says that God Himself is going to dispatch Himself to execute justice on all the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because the the inhabitants had made themselves drunk with the blood of the martyrs. God's justice demands that blood guiltiness be punished. Can you hear it? The Bible describes that the blood of the innocent cries out from the earth. Most of us don't hear it. I usually don't hear it. (laughs) But you know what? God hears it. And because God hears it, He will not, and by His nature, He cannot ignore it. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus promised, that He would avenge his martyred people. Speaking to the religious leaders of his day, we read in Matthew 23, he calls them serpents. Does that sound like Leviathan? Serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, I indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you kill and crucify. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon This generation. So Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees a bunch of snakes. 
a brood of snakes, a brood of vipers in some translations. Why? Because they're the spiritual offspring of Leviathan. They're satanic. And these hypocritical leaders would even eventually conspire and murder our Lord. Therefore, they will share in the same fate as Leviathan. And when do we see that? In 70 AD, Christ poured out His covenant punishment on blood-guilty Jerusalem. Some people are offended by God in His justice. But what do we read about this from a heavenly perspective? In Revelation chapter 16, as those in heaven observe God dispensing His justice, listen to what they say. Revelation 16 verse 5, You are righteous, O Lord, the One who is and the One who was and who is to be, because You have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and You have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. Verse 7, And I heard another calling from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Isaiah the prophet is anticipating something. He's seeing it from afar that one day, ultimately, justice will occur. And it redounds to the glory of God as God makes all of His enemies His footstools. All of God's people, all the creatures in heaven rejoice. Do you? It is to the glory of God that He vindicates His people, His martyrs, His church. Let's look at God's judgment. There's three ways in which it's perfect. First of all, the Lord's justice is perfect in respect to time. In verse 1, In that day the Lord will punish. Now Isaiah refers to a time of ultimate justice earlier in his prophecy in Isaiah 24, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish. It's certain. It will happen. And because the Lord does all things according to the counsel of His own will and His own wisdom, we know that that judgment, whenever it comes, will come when? Right on time. God is able to to mete out His justice in a perfect way at just the right moment. Our problem is, when we see God delay His justice, we misread it. We think it's permission. Oh, well, God must not care. Because if God really cared, He would have you know, hit me with a lightning bolt, right? And God in His patience, God in His kindness, wanting to lead us to repentance... Uh, for those who are being saved, we, we recognize that there is an inevitable day of justice coming and God will bring it at just the right time. And for us, it, it, it edifies us and strengthens us, but it also causes us to revere and respect God for who He really is. But that's not how the unregenerates see it at all. They think God is not there and that God does not care. Unfortunately, they're just going, growing more ripe in their sin. God will bring sharp, vengeful justice. And that perfect justice will come 
at just the right time. God's justice is also perfect in regard to its scope. Leviathan, as I said, remember, is used symbolically. He represents God's archetypal enemy, even Satan himself. And Satan was coiled, ready to strike, strike at God, strike at God's people. But the the hope of the gospel is that Satan is and will be cut off. And this judgment is for the serpent and all those who share in that spirit of Leviathan, the spirit of Antichrist. In verse 21 of Isaiah 24, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the kings of the earth. That's an interesting phrase, this host of exalted ones. What are we talking about? It was mentioned earlier in the in the service. There is this unseen realm. There's these spiritual powers and principalities uh, that we don't often take into account that are uh, is at work in the earth. And these will be brought down. They will be destroyed. In fact, effectively, they were nullified by Christ on the cross. And now, God is in the process of bringing His judgment upon them. But notice what's interesting, how closely, when we talk about principalities and powers, these unseen spiritual beings, how closely they are connected to the rulers of the earth, the kings of the earth. That's because... These spiritual principalities and powers are affecting our leaders. They're coming after our leaders. That's the way it works. And that's a great study at some time. Maybe your pastor can take you through all that. But what Isaiah is saying is that all of them, the unseen spiritual beings who influence human kings and leaders, and by the way, these kings go along willingly, don't they? Many of them abuse their power and, and revolt against the Lord and revolt against His Christ. But you know what the Bible says? That God has established His own King and His name is Jesus. And God laughs at our petty humanistic attempts to throw off Christ and our God. But there's a warning implicit in this. If Satan and the host of heaven and uh, that are arrayed against God, that heavenly spiritual realm, are going to come under God's judgment, and if the greatest among us, the kings, the people that have the, the, the most influence and power and prestige, if they are going to come under God's judgment, how much more those of us who are not kings, <laughs> we're not exalted, and yet we rebel against our God. How much judgment is awaiting them? God's judgment is perfect in its scope. He will subdue all of His enemies, high and low. And then finally, the Lord's justice is perfect in respect to its means. Look at this description of His sword in verse 1. It says, His severe sword, great and strong. Our divine warrior sword is forged with triune perfection. Notice it's a severe sword because it's going to bring fitting, eternal justice for all of God's enemies. It is a great sword. Why is it great? Because it's invincible. Nothing will be able to resist God in His judgment when He slays His enemies. And it's a strong sword because in the grip of Almighty God... 
His grip never tires in justice. That's why in Isaiah 34, verse 6, it says, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. We need to let these images wash over us. We need to see God for who He is. And we know in Revelation, Christ Himself will come and He will wield the sword of the Lord, the terrible sword of the Lord. And you can see that image, can't you, from Revelation, where Christ come mounted on this white steed and the sword, which is the word of the Lord, coming out of His mouth. And He's trampling on His enemies to the extent that the blood is splashing up onto the bridle of the horse. That is the word of God, and that is what's in store for all who do not know God or His Christ. So, preacher, is there any good news today? (laughs) I know. Wow. This is strong. And we need to hear it. And we need to hear it fully and without equivocation. Is there any good news about God's justice? Yes, absolutely. Because there was another great and terrible day of the Lord. On a bloody cross 2,000 years ago, our Lord suffered the greatest and most terrible judgment for sinners. Endured by the only innocent man that this world has ever known. And it was at the perfect time. It was perfect. He was born in the fullness of time. Born of woman. Born under the law. And He fulfilled that law for us. It was perfect in regard to its scope. Because His sacrifice, because it was the very blood of God that was shed, has the power to save to the uttermost all who draw near to Him on the basis of that powerful blood. And it was a perfect means because Jesus, our Christ, came and He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but don't. And He died on a cross and endured the perfect judgment of God when wave after wave after wave of God's eternal judgment was poured out upon God the Son. And it was poured out until Jesus cried out, It is finished. That perfect justice was accomplished for all who come to Christ. And isn't that what the apostles declare in Acts chapter 17? Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. So we know as surely as God declared Jesus Christ to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection and has accomplished redemption for us, that same resurrection bears witness to the fact that He will come again to judge the world in righteousness. So that's good news. This same Christ that will judge the world with the sword of His mouth will also save the world with the sword of the word of faith. So Christ's sword comes and separates 
people from their sin. Have you been separated from your sin through the Word of Christ that has come into your life? If you have not, I pray that today God would open your eyes and that this would be the day of your salvation. So we find comfort, and we should find comfort in the justice of God because we know that in this world we see a lot of imperfect justice. We see the innocent suffering. We hear the blood of innocence crying out. Praise God for His justice. But the second part of this portion of Scripture comes to remind us that God comes to save His people and He does that perfectly. And He creates this beautiful image. Creates a beautiful image for us in verse 2. It says, In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. It's interesting. Now this day of the Lord is is finally come, so He's looking into the future, and when that day comes, there's going to be this glorious vineyard that has emerged in the earth. Now, in your Lord's Day reading, you may want to go back to Isaiah 5. In Isaiah 5, there's also an image of the vineyard, and it's a vineyard that did not bear fruit, and God is going to come in judgment on that, and that is a picture of God's justice on Israel. But I believe this is now speaking of us, the new covenant people, the people who have have been born again by the Spirit of God, and now when God comes, He's going to come and sing over us. Not a funeral dirge like He was going to sing in chapter 5, but He's commanding the whole earth to sing and rejoice over God's people, His church. Do you know that you delight God? Do you know you are a delight to God? I find that very humbling and, and because I'm very conscious of my own sin, I go, how can that be? But yet, because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we read this in Zephaniah, the Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Like a mother sings over her child, God rejoices over you, His fruitful people. The psalmist put it this way, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Does the prospect of singing over God's people and joining with God and rejoicing over His people, does that is that off-putting to you? A lot of people have a very bad sense of the church and, and God's people. And yet, God sings over us and rejoices over us. And He commands the whole world to sing over His vineyard. Isn't that amazing? So yes, He does. Now let's look at three ways then that God tends His garden. This warrior, this this macho guy who can destroy all of His enemies, now turns and looks to you in all tenderness. Notice it's done in graciousness. He graciously tends us. In verse chapter, uh, verse three, uh, uh, it says, I the Lord keep it. That is the vineyard. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. 
divine anger is gone. God graciously tends us. The threats to the previous garden are, are over. And now, if you will, God has beat his, his sword into a pair of pruning shears over which he comes to tend us. Notice the spiritual drought is gone. He's going to water, so there's going to be a constant supply of spiritual life that He is going to make available to His people. And we can drink of it day and night. And notice He says, I guard it, I watch it, I tend it. Every moment, the Lord is watching over you. The Lord is guarding you. And He will protect you. And I love this. Fury is not in me. The anger of Jehovah is fully and finally over for His garden. There's no more wrath. No more wrath. Bask in the promise of God. Leviathan has been run out of the garden. Just as Adam should have run the garden, the snake out of Eden, now Jehovah comes and slays Leviathan. And there's no more wrath for us. Jesus said, I am the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And the Father is now pouring out His blessings upon us. Showers of heavenly blessing. And the Father upholds and prepares us because He's preparing us as those who He has given to His Son. And just as God came in the original fall in the spirit of the day of the Lord to bring judgment on fallen Adam, God comes to us now and He declares no more wrath. Jesus put it this way, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That will even make a Presbyterian say Amen. Amen? So God tends His garden graciously. Secondly, vigilantly. God's strong protection remains. Verse 4, Who would set briars and thorns against Me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. Now what are thorns and thistles? We know that from the the fall. It's symbolic of, of the effects of the curse. And so... The divine warrior is going to fight against the effects of Antichrist. Jesus said, I came to destroy the work of Satan. So the curse itself, the thorns and the briars, are now subject to our Christ, our conquering King. And the one who bore the crown of thorns in our place and and, uh, experienced the full effects of the curse on the earth is now crushing the head of Satan. And the garden will now thrive and grow and prosper under Christ's heavenly cultivation. And He will preserve and protect the purity of His vineyard at all costs. Every branch in me, Jesus said, that does not bear fruit, He takes it away. He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. God protects His vineyard. He's pruning it and protecting His own. In verse 5, He continues, Or let them take hold of My strength that He may make peace with Me, and He shall make 
peace with me. It is in God and in His strength that His people find protection and peace. There's no place of self-reliance here. There's no human effort. There's no pride. It's all of God. It's all of His doing. And it's all of His strength and grace. Isaiah earlier spoke of this. He said, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible ones as in the storm against the wall. If you will, God is protecting us in His garden. He is our shade. He is our shelter. He is is the one in whom we find refuge. And you thrive under the shadow of God's providential care. And you hide in the shelter of His rock, even Christ. And then finally, He protects us and tends us productively. Notice God's garden is a fruitful garden. Verse 6, And those who come He shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. So as we are rooted in Christ, He is the root of Jacob, obviously. He is the true Israel. As we are rooted in Him, we are the elect and we are the Father's planting. And by the way, our Heavenly Father has a green thumb. Isn't that good? Don't give me anything to take care of, but God our Father is the vine dresser. And He ensures the life of His branches. And all those whom He plants will indeed be a fruitful vine. As you live in and through the life, even Christ, He's going to make you fruitful today. He loves you in that. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in Him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So is Christ the source of your spiritual life today? Are you tapped in to the vine? That life-giving vine by the Holy Spirit who gives us life in Christ. God, our vine dresser, has promised and ensures we will be fruitful branches. Now we establish our roots, we tap in to the only one who can give us life, even Christ Himself. The psalmist says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree, a little different metaphor. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Do you believe that about yourself? God says that about you because the life of Christ is in you by grace through faith. So the fruitful life of the new Israel of God is going to literally fill the whole world. The seed of the righteous, not the seed of the serpent, is going to prevail. The divine warrior will cut down Leviathan and his progeny will all be destroyed, even Lucifer himself. For the Lord is and will establish His garden. It may be slow, To us, it may be somewhat imperceptible, but the garden of God is growing and will grow. 
and it will fill the whole earth. This is the Lord's doing. So, church, so, vineyard, rejoice. Sing as God sings over you. We sing to our God in thanksgiving for what He has done for us. As His vines, we shout and proclaim the great, unstoppable salvation of our God. Let us pray. Father, thank You for these images that speak to us in a different way. Um, reminds us of Your care. Thank You for who You are and for the grace to be able to see who You are. You are holy. You are just. You are perfect in all Your ways. And Lord, whenever we think of that, we are so reminded of who we are and how desperately we need a Savior. So Lord, this morning we rejoice in our holy God who has loved us through His Son and provided for all of us a way of escape. And now You have made us Your vineyard. We are Your planting. Not because of anything worthwhile or good in us, but simply because You loved us. And so, Lord, for that, we rejoice. And Lord, it staggers our imagination that You find anything in us over which to sing or to rejoice, and yet that is what Your Word says. But Lord, we find You so beautiful when we see You for who You are. And Lord, it causes our heart to want to sing and to rejoice. And so we do, Lord. We worship You. And even as we respond to this message in song, may we sing from hearts filled with gratitude for wrath removed and for grace received. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.